0: Hello and welcome to World of Warbirds. I'm Brian Pierce. You can always check out the pictures on the World of Warbirds Facebook page in order to see the various aircraft and engines described today, and feel free to give us some feedback or suggest a future topic. World of Warbirds normally is a podcast that profiles an individual warbird, taking you, the listener, from the design to the prototype, operational history, and post-war life of the aircraft. However, from time to time, I break up that pattern by providing an episode on either a bigger picture look at some element of World War II aviation, or drilling down deeper to explain an element that might be generally taken for granted or misunderstood. Today, however, is an example of the latter, an examination of Warbird engines. Open quotes twelve horsepower inline four cylinder water cooled piston engine. Close quotes. That is the specification of the engine of the Wright Flyer, which could be seen as the mother of all aircraft engines. Like all aero engines that followed it, the idea was to get the most power for the least weight. For although reciprocating engines were not new, The requirement that they be light was. For their flyer, the Wright brothers initially looked for an existing engine or one to be produced by an existing manufacturer, but could find neither. There was no engine that would meet their requirements, which was for an engine under 200 pounds to produce at least 8 horsepower. No manufacturer was willing to invest the funds or effort to build just a limited number of these high-performance engines. So the Wrights were forced to do it themselves, along with their machinist, Charlie Taylor. Their 1903 engine performed splendidly, producing 12 horsepower, weighed 180 pounds, and they used the same basic model for the next couple of years, until they replaced it with the Wright Vertical 4, which they used for the next six years after that. The vertical four had a bigger cylinder bore, which meant more displacement. It also had its cylinders upright rather than lying horizontal. But even in these small steps, we can see the type of experimentation that would happen in the following decades as all aircraft engine builders tried to squeeze out more and more power out of their engines by every engineering trick that they could think of. So what do we mean by reciprocating? This means an engine with one or more pistons going back and forth to produce power. The power cycle of most engines is intake, compression, ignition, and exhaust. Back when I was a flight instructor, teaching ground school, I learned that replacing these terms with the more titillating suck, squeeze, bang, blow, would be more memorable for the students suck a downgoing piston draws in a charge of fuel and air squeeze this piston now upgoing compresses the charge bang the squeezed fuel air charge is ignited burns expands and pushes the cylinder down to produce power and blow the upgoing piston completes the cycle by pushing out exhaust gases And then the cycle starts all over again. Notice that in a four cycle engine, the only stroke producing power is the ignition or the bang one. All of this action takes place in a cylinder. So in their unceasing quest to get more power out of their engines, engineers could start with the simple things. They could make the cylinders bigger in order to burn a bigger charge of fuel air and thus produce more power. This is expressed by the term displacement, meaning the size of the space within the cylinders and is described by cubic inches or liters. The vertical four that we talked about earlier displaced 240 cubic inches or 3.9 liters. But when it comes to aircraft engines, there's an obvious limit to cylinder size. A ship engine may have a small number of massive cylinders displacing thousands of liters each. But that's just not going to work when you're trying to fit your engine in the smallest package possible. And why are you trying to do that? The bigger the space your engine takes up, the bigger the covering, or nacelle, is needed, which means more drag. In aviation engineering, everything is a compromise. So, if we are limited in the size of the cylinders, what about adding more of them? Of course, this is what they did. The Wright brothers started with four cylinders and arranged on a line, which is called an inline or straight configuration. Cylinders can be added giving us a straight six or eight. Notice that the number is always even in order to balance out the motion. As we add more and more cylinders to the line, eventually we hit limits again. Because the power is being transferred to a crankshaft, That is getting longer and longer, more and more stiffening is required in order to keep the engine together and from vibrating. Even though the frontal surface of this inline engine is small and thus great for reducing aircraft drag, eventually the weight of the stiffening proves too much and designers had to come up with a different arrangement. One way to do it was to split the line of cylinders and have them working against each other, sort of like those old-timey wood saws which had a guy at either end pushing and pulling their handle of the saw. In aircraft, these engines are known as horizontally opposed, while in cars they can be called flat or boxer engines. They take up more horizontal space, but as their motion is balanced, can be made very light and can handle a larger number of cylinders, although most are four and sixes. My own personal Cessna 172 has a six-cylinder horizontally opposed engine, the Continental O300. Another way to get more power is to start arranging ever-increasing numbers of cylinders in different configuration banks. One is the V, where two banks of cylinders lean away from each other. We've all heard of the V8, but V engines can be built in 10, 12, 12, and all the way up to a monster V 24 model, which was actually two V 12s mounted one behind the other, and was only used once for the Macchi MC 72, an experimental Italian seaplane that was competing for the Schneider Trophy. This one off engine powered the seaplane on its record setting flight with a speed of 440.7 miles per hour or 709.2 kilometers per hour. No other seaplane has ever gone faster, and the plane was retired following the flight. However, the most common V-configuration for aircraft use was the V-12, which seemed to be the perfect compromise. Many, many of the warbirds we discuss in this podcast are powered by V-12 engines, such as the British Rolls-Royce Merlin and Griffin, the Soviet Klimov VK-107, and Maculain AM38, the American Allison V1710, and the German Benz DB600 and Junkers Jumo 211. Although Western V12s were upright, meaning that the cylinder heads were on top, German designers flipped theirs upside down with their inverted V engines. Because more of the engine mass was on the bottom, These had a lower center of gravity and improved the pilot's visibility to boot. In the quest to put more and more cylinders, some designers tried sticking together these various configurations and gearing them together to a common shaft and then to the propeller. Putting two horizontally opposed banks on top of each other produced an H engine, such as the 24-cylinder British Napier Sabre, which powered the Hawker Typhoon and Tempest. Putting a V-bank on top and then another V-bank upside down underneath makes an X-engine, such as the 24-cylinder Rolls-Royce Vulture engine, which was built by putting two Rolls-Royce Peregrine V-12s on top of one another. The Vulture powered the Avro Manchester Heavy Bomber, which was a failure, but which led to the Avro Lancaster, which was not. Listen to my episode on the Lank for the full story on what happened there. A similar engine type was developed in Germany for the Henkel HE-177 Greif, or Griffin. Part of the design of this fast bomber was to have only two engines in order to reduce the drag in not having four engine nacelles. This meant that with only two engines, each of them needed to be producing about 2,000 horsepower. German industry just didn't have a reliable engine with that power, so they decided to take two Daimler-Benz DB601 liquid-cooled inverted V12s and mounted them together in one nacelle coupled to turn a single propeller. This unit was known as the DB606 power system. Now the 601 was a very reliable engine and was used to power such aircraft as the Messerschmitt BF-109 E to F and BF-110 C to F. However, the DB606 power system with the two engines put together got a very bad name due to its installation in the HE-177. There just wasn't enough space in the nacelle leading to overheating in parts of the engine which in turn caused foaming of the lubricating oil, which meant that the parts of the engine were being damaged. The great heat between the conjoined engines meant that any leaking oil or fuel would trigger a catastrophic engine fire. The crews of the 177 had a nickname for the plane, Reich Fugzeug, the Reich lighter, or Lufenwaffen Fugzeug, Air Force lighter. Apologies to German speakers. Goring himself hated the engines, calling them welded-together engines. However, it wasn't the engines themselves that were the problem, but their installation in the 177. The same power system were used in two other aircraft, the Henkel HE-119 and the Messerschmitt ME-261, and there they worked fine. Now there's a completely different configuration that we have yet to talk about. That is putting the cylinders in a circle. Unlike the types of inline engines, the circular configuration has to have an odd number of cylinders to be balanced. The first type was known as the rotary engine, where the cylinders spin around a fixed crankshaft. Although this was very effective in cooling the cylinders, spinning this big hunk of metal leads to a gyroscopic effect that makes the aircraft hard to handle as soon as you want to turn which of course is what you want to do in combat. Even with their limitations many World War I aircraft ran on rotary engines such as the Sopwith Camel. Another major disadvantage was the lubrication system which was known as total loss. All lubricating oil was ejected along with the exhaust and blown in the pilot's face, leading to them getting soaked in and ingesting oil, which gave them persistent diarrhea. Not a pleasant effect to have, especially in a single-seat fighter. Another little-known fact is that the white scarf worn by fighter pilots was mainly used to clean off their goggles so that they could see through the spray of oil. So having the cylinders fixed in place and turning a central crankshaft attached to a propeller seemed a better idea than spinning the entire collection of cylinders and this is what we have in the radial engine. Like the rotary they have fewer problems with cooling which is something that needs to be stressed. For along with increases in power there is always a corresponding increase in heat generation. With most of the inline types, whether straight, Vs, Hs, or Xs, any cylinder further back than the front one will require help in being cooled. This necessitates liquid cooling or using a circulating fluid to bring the waste heat from the engine to a radiator to get rid of it. Of course, this is an added weight and complexity and a cause for concern with combat aircraft when a single bullet in the system can be catastrophic. The radial engine doesn't need liquid cooling. Enough of the cylinders are exposed to the airstream in order to carry the heat away. Of course, this meant more frontal face to the engine, which meant more drag, but the radials were considered more reliable and a better power to weight ratio. They also needed to be pulled through before starting to clear the oil that had accumulated out of the bottom cylinders. Sometimes you'll see this in videos with the uh, ground crews turning the propellers around slowly on the ground in order to eject the oil that has flowed down into those bottom cylinders. But as I said in the beginning, everything is a compromise. In 1935, Lindbergh flew the Atlantic with a nine-cylinder, right 225-horsepower J-5 whirlwind radial engine. Pratt & Whitney's first radial, also a nine-cylinder, the R-1340 WASP, was the beginning of a very long line of WASP-type radials. But still the quest for more power marched on. Any more than nine cylinders in a circle would be too unwieldy. So the idea came to put a second row of cylinders behind the first. One of these was the incredible, 14-cylinder Pratt & Whitney R-1830 Twin Wasp engine. Pratt & Whitney built more than 173,000 of them, and they were used in several of the most produced aircraft ever built. The four-engined B-24 Heavy Bomber, and the twin engine DC-3, as well as the military's C-47 Skytrain, the Grumman F-4F Wildcat Fighter, consolidated P-B-Y Catalina seaplane, Douglas TBD Devastator Torpedo Bomber, Short Sutherland Seaplane, and Victor's Wellington Bomber. Although these aircraft also use other engines too in various configurations. It produces 1,200 horsepower at takeoff and is still in service today. Its contemporary, from Wright, was the R-2600 Twin Cyclone, which generally produced 1,600 horsepower at takeoff and was used in the Boeing 314 Clipper Seaplane, the Brewster SB-2A Buccaneer, Curtis SB-2C Helldiver, Douglas A-20 Havoc, and B-23 Dragon, Grumman TBF Avenger, and North American B-25 Mitchell. Wright built over 50,000 of them. With two rows of cylinders, that meant that the rear ones were in danger of not getting enough cooling air and overheating. This was solved by introducing baffles in order to direct the cooling airflow to where it was needed. German aero engine designers had some other ideas. For example, the BMW 801, which powered the Focke-Wulf FW 190 and Junkers Ju 88, had a little engine-driven cooling fan just behind the propeller. When I had first seen this, I didn't understand why they would need a fan there when there was that big prop right in front but I now understand that especially on the ground when there is little airflow from the prop, the fan does the job of sending the cooling air through the cowling. Although when we mention British airplane engines everyone thinks of the Rolls-Royce Merlin, the Brits built radials too. Bristol produced more than 57,400 radial Hercules engines to power the Vickers Wellington, Short Stirling, Handley Page Halifax, and even some versions of the Avril Lancaster. British Centaurus radial engines were used in the Hawker Tempest II and Sea Fury, and their Bristol Pegasus was used in the Short Sutherland, Handley Page Hampton, and Fairy Swordfish. Lastly, their 9-cylinder Mercury was used to power the Westland Lysander and Bristol Blenheim. Radial engines were also used to power tanks, such as some versions of the Sherman. There is something fascinating about examples from the end of a technological era. I find the last steam locomotive or the last coal-powered ships almost as interesting. They're often the biggest, with the most tweaks and features designed to squeeze every last bit of energy out of the fuel and delivering it to the wheels or the screws, or in this case, the prop. Before the oil-fired turbine, the diesel-electric, or in the case of aero engines, the jets came flying in. Now, some of these types of power-squeezing features in piston engines are superchargers, turbochargers, carburetors versus fuel injection, water and methanol injection, nitrous oxide injection, turbo-compounding, and different octane blends of fuels. We are not going to delve into each of these in any detail today, but I promise to explore each in future episodes as each is a fascinating way of getting more power out of the same number of cylinders. So let's take a closer look at some of the last piston engines built during our Warbird era. The Rolls Royce Griffin was the end of the line for this aircraft engine producer when it came to piston engines. This liquid cooled 37 liter, 2240 cubic inch V12 started as a request from the Fleet Air Arm asking for a more powerful Merlin. The Griffin was an updated Merlin, and although it was only slightly physical larger than its predecessor, it displaced 10 more liters. It was also designed from the start to have a supercharger, ending up producing 2,400 horsepower. The Avro Shackleton, Fairy Firefly, Hawker Tempest, Supermarine Seafire, and Spiteful were all powered by Griffins. These engines have even powered air racers and tractor pullers right up into the modern era. Another British engine, the Napier Sabre, was an H24 cylinder liquid cooled engine with sleeve valves rather than the usual poppet valves that almost all other engines used and still use sleeve valves work by having ports in the cylinder walls that come into alignment with the cylinder's inlet and exhaust ports at the right time in the combustion cycle. At one time, this technology was thought to be superior to poppet valves because the earlier poppets would build up carbon which needed to be removed. However, changes in the technology reduced this problem which took the sleeve valve's design out of favor. However, The engine was improved during the era to become one of the most powerful inline piston engines in the world, developing from 2,200 horsepower in its earlier versions to 3,500 horsepower in late model prototypes. Although the development of the engine took a long time and a lot of tinkering, it ended up powering Hawker Typhoons and Tempests which were used to chase down and destroy V1 flying bombs. And they also shot down 20 Messerschmitt Me 262 jet aircraft. I have personally seen a Sabre up close at the Canadian Aviation and Space Museum in Ottawa and I can attest that it is a hopelessly complex but very beautiful machine that can stand as a piece of art as well as an engine to make power out of gasoline. Sticking with British sleeve valve technology, we also had the British Centaurus, which was an 18-cylinder two-row design with 3,272 inches that's 53.6 liters of displacement that would eventually deliver over 3,000 horsepower. It was a development on their Hercules engine that we have mentioned before. In order to get more engine volume, Designers used two rows of nine cylinders instead of two rows of seven, and they increased the stroke of the pistons. They were used as power for Hawker Tempest and Sea Furies during the war, and civilian aircraft such as the Airspeed Ambassador and Blackburn-Beverly after the war. Meanwhile, back in the States, the Wright R-3350 Duplex Cyclone was a twin-row supercharged air-cooled radial engine with 18 cylinders displacing almost 55 litres. Depending on the model, this engine could produce power ranging from 2,200 to over 3,700 horsepower. This was the engine that was rushed into production for the B-29 as the bomber itself was being rushed to be built for the war in the Pacific. The B-29 had major engine issues in the beginning, as there just wasn't enough space between the cylinder baffles and the cowling, a bit like the HE-177 we mentioned previously. This just didn't allow enough room for adequate cooling, especially at low speeds, and the rear cylinders got hot enough to burst into flames. These engine fires burned as hot as 5,600 Fahrenheit. The B-29's prototype second flight was ended early due to an engine fire. And the second prototype aircraft was destroyed and the entire crew was killed due to another engine fire. The B-29 struggled with their R-3350 duplex cyclone engines throughout the entire campaign as they were asked to haul overweight aircraft up to extreme altitudes where they were really at the edge of the power needed for this aircraft. When it came time to upgrade the B-29 to the B-50, one of the first things they did was to swap out the R-3350 Duplex Cyclone for its more powerful competitor built by Pratt & Whitney, the R-4360 Wasp Major. However, I don't want to leave you with the impression that the R-3350 Duplex Cyclone was some sort of failure. It's simply the story of a technology being rushed due to the pressures of war. As the engine was allowed to mature, it became incredibly reliable and used in many, many aircraft in both military and civilian applications that are too many to list. But a few examples are the Douglas A-1 Skyraider that was used in service right up until 1985, the Fairchild C-119 flying boxcar, the Lockheed Constellation and Super Connie, and the Lockheed P-2 Neptune. The engine still powers the Martin JRM Mars, which is in service as a firefighter, and the R-33350 is used as the engine on Hawker Sea Fury and Grumman F-8F Bearcat Unlimited class racers at the Reno Air Races. The Pratt and Whitney R. 4360 Wasp Major can be considered the culmination of the evolution of what started with the Wright Brothers' little four-cylinder, 12-horsepower engine. The Wasp Major was a beast of a machine that was conceived during World War II, however, was developed too late to see service in that conflict. It contained a shocking 28 air-cooled cylinders, organized in four radial rows. In order to deal with the always problematic cooling issues, each row of seven cylinders was slightly offset in order to allow for better airflow. This gave the engine its distinctive look and its corncob nickname. It displaced 4,362 cubic inches, which is 71 liters. Just in case you're curious, that displacement is the equivalent of 14 Ford F-150 truck engines. The Wasp Major could produce 3,500 to 4,000 horsepower. As mentioned before, it was used in the B-50, which was the upgrade to the B-29. The double-decker Boeing 377 Stratocruiser and the Boeing KC-97 Stratofreighter were powered by them also. Six of them were mounted in the Convair B-36 Peacemaker as well as the Hughes H4 Hercules, more commonly known as the Spruce Goose. I hope you've enjoyed this look at some warbird engines, and now appreciate more what goes into powering our favorite warbirds. I'll post some pictures on the World of Warbirds Facebook page, and hey, give us a good rating if you like what you've heard, and share with your friends.